And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 23 of PNR's This Old Marketing. And I'm coming to you from sunny Los Angeles, California on Tuesday, April 22nd of 2014. We're coming to you, so won't you come to us and be so... Is that a haiku? I don't know. Anyway, if you end up liking our little weekly bundle of audio love, we'd love a review on iTunes, and we hope you'll consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher or Pack Mule or Postal Truck or whatever comes to you. And as always, come on down to our own little corner barbershop on the web, thisoldmarketing.com, where you can also find the show notes and general awesome stuff we talk about here. And also, as always, coming from Cleveland, Ohio, my good, good friend, a guy who's not only Boston strong, but content strong, Mr. Joe Polizia. Hello, Joe. How are you, my friend? Did you celebrate 420 in the uh, in the traditional way? No, you know, what, what's funny about that is I always remember when this is content marketing world the first year, and, and I didn't do this on purpose, but 420 on the final day of content marketing world, we had Mr. Kevin Smith, you know, silent, there silent you go. Bob. And he said he was so thankful that we had him before. And I never did it on purpose. I'm like, I never even thought about it. And it's like, oh, my gosh. And so anyways, that's that made me think of that fine moment. Yes. Well, and it's become quite a thing. I was seeing some celebration in Denver now where it's just, I mean, it, I, my wife looked at that and went, how do you not get a contact high at that event? I mean, it's just absolutely it's, nuts. It's, yeah, exactly. I mean, I can't even. Well, here we are. You know, I mean, we're we're going to be. You know, I wouldn't be surprised in ten years we get fifteen to twenty states that'll legalize this thing once the money starts rolling in. But this isn't a political show, so I don't know how we should no, we should get absolutely. Into that. Well, I'll tell you. It, the interesting thing is, we've actually gotten you know in anticipation of many of the states sort of moving that way. We've gotten several inquiries from businesses who are actually looking to get into content marketing uh, for those you know for selling, and so it's going to be a really interesting thing to see how they how they start to market and differentiate. Well, especially themselves. in. In, in your area, California, being the number one right. crop, uh, being marijuana in, in California. Yeah. And, and I mean, I know you're a wine lover. I wouldn't lover, know anything but, about that. No, yeah, I wouldn't know yeah, anything exactly, about that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anyways. <laughs> anyway, yeah. let's get to the news, let's, man. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. Well, something we wanted to cover briefly here. It's not that big of a news story, but it's it's relatively interesting. Um, an article came out from – this comes from seroundtable.com talking about some changes uh, in Google Analytics. Um, this is an article by Barry Schwartz, and he talks about how Google Analytics has really just sort of quietly in the middle of the night changed some of the terminology that they use in the analytics package. And there's now showing what used to be called visits as sessions – uh, and unique visitors are now users, which seems to me to be kind of moving backwards in terms of in terms of the way that we humanize this thing. I mean, what did you think about this? I, you know, I just think it's important that everybody knows about it. And I'm I, I was actually in the analytics today, just checking it out. And it now I'm looking at it. It all we care about are users, right? And we want to know, okay, how many sessions did those use? So from that standpoint, it's fine. But I almost it got me to do a double take because I'm like, okay, how many of those sessions are real sessions? Are those like computer right. sessions? Are those bot sessions? You know, so I'm starting to look at the number there because it used to be unique visitors that attached to a person or somebody actually right. doing a behavior. And now a session, that doesn't really mean that anymore. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm reading in it too much. I think all we wanted to do is cover it on this show so that people knew that when they go into analytics next time, it's a little bit different. Well, I think, you know, I think this is, I think there's a reason for this. I don't think they just, you know, sort of randomly decided to switch this. And, and, and I think one of the reasons, although I haven't seen this anywhere, th is that as, as mobile starts to become an increasingly important piece of what marketers or people using Google Analytics would measure, I wonder if this has to do more with they're seeing more analytics get embedded into mobile apps, websites that are mobile driven. And so they're looking at them more as, cause I, when I see the, you know, when I see the word session and users, I think application analytics, I don't think necessarily what we traditionally think of as a content experience sort of analytics, but I don't know. It, it seems like it could be moving more toward 
they're looking at measuring things as sort of discrete apps, you know, whether that's a website or a mobile app or a mobile website rather than sort of a, a content experience. Yeah, I think I think it's setting up for the app experience. I mean, so so that yeah. no matter what device you're on, here's the sessions, here's the users. So, yeah, whatever the case is. Yeah, and I wonder, you know, there's a lot of new analytics companies coming out. I wonder if this signals a yeah, I don't know whether an opportunity or not, but but it signals an opportunity. I mean, I've long wondered, you know, where is the next analytics company that's really going to focus in on content experiences, you know, sort of really looking at it from how people consume content, not just, you know, clicks and, and, you know, conversions and that sort of thing, but rather experiential types of analytics. You mean like uh, Facebook engagement statistics? <laughs> yeah. Well, that segues us very nicely. Holy smokers! <laughs> yeah, sorry I'm the one about doing that. The That's segues. the first thing that yes, came to no, mind. It's, <laughs> well, so interestingly enough, um, there was a little article that came out this week. Um, well, a couple of articles came out this week. Not the least of which was the one that I got to do with our good friend. Fantastic Jay article, by the way. One of the best I've. Well, one of the best I've much. seen. On, and we'll make sure it, we put it in the show notes, but, but just on the state of Facebook's business model. It seems to be getting a little bit of traction out there, yeah, which I was glad to see. And certainly having Jay's heat behind it, his fire of social media certainly doesn't hurt at all. But there was an interesting article that – so it, for those of you who didn't see it, basically what we, we talked about is the fact that Facebook's organic reach has decreased markedly over the last 24 months and has gone from some say 16% to single-digit uh, organic reach now and you know ostensibly down to zero where basically you have to pay for each and every engagement that you're going to get out there. And there was an article that also came out this week which was fascinating to me. Um, it's on Digiday. Um, and it basically asks the question, Facebook organic reach is good for brands? And it was a really interesting article to me because what it references is a new white paper being produced by Facebook called Engagement on Facebook, colon, When It Matters. And quotes basically that white paper by saying, and this is a quote from the white paper, et cetera, where he says, while clicks can be strong indicators of success for online direct response campaigns, research by Nielsen shows very limited correlation between clicks and offline sales lift. The same is true of clicks and standard brand metrics like awareness. And then goes on to talk about how the basically the white paper says, you know, engagement is not the end all be all of what you should be looking to do. And you should actually look at business oriented metrics. And my response to that is, OK, yeah, duh. Right. We, we, we knew that. But it's, as one agency person said in the article, a complete 180 from what Facebook was touting even, you know, a year and a half or two years ago. Um, I, you know, before I get off on a rant on this thing, but what did you think about this? This is the biggest piece of propaganda I've seen in some time. Oh, yeah. I mean, right. uh, I, I actually I had to read this a couple times and I had to go to some of these sources and look at them because basically what they're saying is is that engagement is not okay so to sort of repeat what you're saying engagement is not a leading indicator to sales on Facebook that's really what they're saying and the right. solution for that is exposure <laughs> um, <Yeah>. so exactly <laughs> and that means oh okay I have to buy right. more ads and right I'm surprised that the title of the white paper wasn't, you know, really, for people to respond, you have to hit them three times. <laughs> the, yeah, actually, seven is probably the number. But, hey, we won't, we won't even go there. But, yeah, I mean, so that was my big take. And, and I'm just almost dumbfounded that there hasn't been more of an outreach. But there just seems to be never – there never is much of an outreach, outrage as you go to this thing. I mean, it, so, so, yeah, let's get down to the, the core of this for – brand publishers out there. So what's the solution? I mean, you wrote the article with Jay. Uh, we're getting organic reach down to zero. Even there's, there's even in this Digiday article, there's case studies saying that we're preparing the way for organic reach to be zero. Uh, what, what is the, what's the solution? What are the, what, are, what should we be looking at? Well, I think one of the interesting things here is, is that a couple of the brands that they actually talk to in the Digiday article, talk through actually what they're really doing. And most of them, what they're doing is 
basically what the article concludes with, which is interestingly and ironically the the thing that we conclude with, which is you know Facebook now even thinks of themselves as a media platform and less of a social network. So these brands are actually moving their sort of owned media and idea that they're going to engage users out on Facebook and treating it more like a like it would a publisher where they're placing ads and and whatnot. And I think that's really something you've got to look at. I mean, you know, Jay's had four really, I think, great conclusions in terms of what he's telling his clients in terms of, you know, basically one, get better at it, um, which seems to be there was a couple of responses that I got through social media and stuff that said, yeah, you can actually, you can still engage people through Facebook if you're just really good at at content. And, you know, I think that's If you're great a human, if, you can, if, you're, if you're an individual- right. And that's kind of where, I mean, right. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but most of the success stories you're seeing about organic reach has to do with a very, very super small company that still has a human being behind it or an individual. Not the, not the big, big, big brands. There's the, those are the numbers that you're seeing, the 16% down to 5 to 6%, down to 1 and less than 1 and now going to 0 well, absolutely. I mean, the example that I used in a, in a comment that I made was, you know, the the poor, let's say the local farmer's market, right? So the local farmer's market here in Los Angeles, there's one that's, you know, down the street from me. And they had, you know, a couple of thousand, 2,500, 3,000 people on their Facebook page that they've spent some time and effort and money, you would assume, basically building up. And they're, do- and they're not out there trying to go viral or build, you know, a huge thing. They're actually using, and they thought they were using Facebook as a way to communicate with this community that they'd spent time building up. That was kind of the implied promise from Facebook. You go out, build this community, and I can do things like send you when the farmer's market's going to be off for a holiday like Easter or send you the hours or send you a new, you know, when a new vendor has come in and offering an exciting new product. And I said the, the, the challenge with sort of the get better at content strategy there is now that farmer's market is forced to write headlines like, you know, you're never going to believe what you see in our hours, you know? I mean, you, you're, you, you'll be shocked and crying when you see our hours displayed, you know, trying to get some sort of engagement so that they, that they get this virality. And I think that's just unfair because you should be able to be good with content, not actually have to be amazing with content every step of the way. So anyway, getting off on a tangent there, the real takeaway here is be very careful about what you're doing in terms of your uh, in terms of your new entree into Facebook, and if you're already there, I think the you know as I conclude the article with, I think the the real question over time is going to be what's the switching cost going to be to pulling people over into our own platform. Well, there's a couple things that there um, Amanda Moore, who's director of social for Lord and Taylor, is going through this, and it's clear, but yeah. when she's talking about it, that her goal was more awareness related. Because I don't hear anything, and this is my concern with it from some of the this article and a lot of other articles, that basically they're talking about content on Facebook as not to build an audience. And this is the thing that just, and you and I talk about it all the time, I wish more people would look at that as a key goal to build an audience so that ultimately you right. don't need a Facebook. So that's the one thing. And, right. and of course, if, you, if whoever goes through the article there, you'll get that feeling. It's like nobody's talking about that. Two, there's a couple examples here, and it seems like the whole article is sort of geared toward the fact that, oh, this is ultimately really good news because now we don't have to worry about creating all that great content anymore (laughs) and we can just buy ads. right. We just buy ads and everything's great. We're back to normal. And I'm like, what? Are you you seriously taking that stance that this is great and Facebook's doing this? I saw that and that's what dumbfounded me. When I saw that quote, I was like, really? This is good news for for, It's good news for media buying agencies. I guess it's so. great news for I that, and that's so. where the and, and that's where I mean, you and I have had conversations just in the last two weeks with big brands where they're taking budget off of advertising and put it into content for Facebook. Right? They're they're taking it that yeah. way, and they're yeah. saying, "Look, we know, and and we also know that more than sixty percent of Facebook's revenue are ads that are actually content and not product related." So the whole native right. advertising thing, ding ding ding, is in play. First first native advertising yeah. uh, mention. I got it first today. So the <laughs> so that so that's the second thing and the third thing and this is what I want to get your take on because I'm so fascinated by this now and your article with Jay talked about this and I had to read it a couple times because I'm trying to put my arms around this 
Facebook is what has 60% of the global audience or something like unbelievable, right? right? They're already out there so much. So, so where do they grow, right? They grow by getting more money out of each user and each session. So that's exactly. what they're trying to do, and exactly. they're squeezing us. So not so they've really become a media platform, and that's what you argued in your in your great article. So let's that's right. So now now they're at the stage. So they're a media platform. We all get that. We got to pay to play, just like you do on television, just like you do in radio or newspapers or whatever the case is. Okay, so that's step one. Now step two, um, they squeeze us for as much money. So they're they're going to do that. We're in that, and now step three is. Now, do they, do you see them buying television networks? Do you see them buying NBC? I mean, like, w- because I really see that. I mean, you talked about the, you know, they bought the WhatsApp thing, which WhatsApp, by the way, I think that that's a China play as well because they're right. now they're in yeah, China because they weren't in China. But really, I guess and Europe yes. and Europe. So, but I want to know is. When when does it stop? They they now have accepted the fact that they are a media platform, and and should we expect more of this? Well, I'll t- I'll, I'll tell you. So I have two perspectives on that. It, the the first is the you know the, I'll, I'll I'll tell it to you this way. The original title of my blog post was Facebook is the new AOL. And if they go out and buy a big media company like an NBC or, you know, they're not going to buy NBC because it's owned by Comcast. But, the, but if they went out and bought a big television network and tried to put exclusive content, they would be making the same colossal mistake that AOL made. And, and arguably are right, going right down. the. It's like they're looking at the AOL path and going, wow, how can we duplicate their failure? And the one difference, and this is where I shift perspectives on this, is I think Facebook is smarter than that. Um, I think they won't make that mistake. And I think, you know, even some of the things that I'm starting to see now from Facebook where Zuckerberg talks about, um, I th- I, this is not my line, but it's somebody's line, you know, unbundling the blue, basically, where they're they're looking at sort of Facebook may be different down the road than the big F, right? The You know, the big blue F. It may end up being lots of smaller brands like Instagram, like WhatsApp, like, and they may end up trying to create lots of apps, lots of different ways of basically interacting with and connecting to yep. people on the web in a way that, in a way that they're, you know, that's behind, that's what the Oculus Rift acquisition is certainly all about. It's what the WhatsApp is all about. And so ultimately, it may not even be Facebook as a platform that we end up interacting with, but rather some of these smaller brands, and they just continue to innovate. I, if for those that are bullish on Facebook, I think that's the only way they survive. For those that are bearish, they're going to go out and buy some big media company. And well, you and I had the conversation with a couple of folks while we were in Singapore about Tencent. And I had never yeah, heard of Tencent, right. and I feel right. I felt ignorant because I did not, I was not familiar with Tencent, and it was talked a lot actually about at Content Marketing Asia, and so I started to yeah. do some research, and then lo and behold, I pick up Fast Company, and there's a whole article about Tencent in it. So I mean, maybe we'll put that in the show notes as well because it's super interesting. But their model is really their model is I think it's forty nine. Don't you know? We'll have to I'll have to check the the notes of the article, but forty nine different apps that are little mini businesses within Tencent. And that's how they're growing. So they look at, oh, here's a user experience thing that we need. They go duplicate it. They've got a whole new business. They put some money behind it, and there you go. They got another business. So it sounds like that's kind of what you're talking about with with that holding company. Exactly. And, it, and, and, you know, I mean, so what differentiates that from them being a media company, you know, where media companies really, if you think about it, do the same thing. They often, you know, they launch properties that are sometimes ephemeral in nature or sometimes actually have, you know, great length of life to them. But, but they are ostensibly little mini businesses, right? So television networks are this way, uh, you know, movie studios are this way, and, and many publishers are this way. And so, you can argue that it's not there's it's a very similar business ultimately but ultimately they they independent of sort of which direction they go i i think they are a media company now more than anything else so i think that the take is you can i mean going back to yours and jay's points you can pay to play um you can make the choice where you're really going to focus on publishing amazing things that that are worthy of people's attention, which is very, very much more difficult to do. Um, you can get your customers, employees to do it. 
and and kind of carry that message along as individual people and hopefully that'll spread or you can just forget it and start building your community somewhere else right and i think all of those are viable with cmi's stance being sort of much more of the last one <laughs> well and then and but you said it many times just if you're if you're creating if you're doing promotion on that's not in product related on facebook maybe you just redirect them to build your community to build to yeah, to do absolutely. it to build, build audience yeah, that's but do gr- it i'm hearing yeah. great things about ads i'm getting i'm getting reports anecdotal uh, i'm getting anecdotal reports of ads really performing well some people are saying that they're not um, even some people in the comments on our article said that they're not but i'm actually hearing some really good things about the efficacy of the ad network well it's, what's interesting and just and this is has to be the longest session we've ever done on one one topic <laughs> yeah. but i just saw the google results that came out and the one complaint, because they're, I mean, they had amazing billion-dollar numbers, right? But they didn't quite hit right, expectations. Yeah. They missed it by $100 million. And when you're talking about $15 billion, $100 million is not all that much. But the reason they cite right. that they missed it was that more people are going to mobile, and they can't show as many ad opportunities in the stream. And you've been you've been talking about that. So for a it's long just time. interesting. Yeah. And now you've got Facebook with that stream opportunity because they're you know they they haven't really done it before. They you know they don't have the top and the side like Google did. They don't know it was bad for them. So now they're coming in with a fresh start, and now they've got an opportunity. So yeah, All right. absolutely. All right, let's well, let's it. move on. Let's move this. Let's move this. Well, speaking of media, media agencies, uh, really interesting article in the Wall Street Journal this week. Um, about how agencies, um, and we've talked a lot on this show about how agencies are, are, are struggling a little bit in this content marketing world, but they're starting to model newsrooms for real-time marketing. And I just thought it was fascinating. They were talking through even some of the examples, talking through how Publicis has a news desk operation with 50 people that have strategists and creative people, and basically they monitor social media for, they've got eight clients doing it, and they're looking for opportunities for marketing to jump into a conversation and do that stuff and and you know it's i think it's just fascinating i'm not sure that you know it, it, it's uh, it, it won't morph into something else but i just thought this was a really interesting, interesting in a in a good way i mean is this a good thing that you've got agencies doing this and bringing in more journalists and is it is it a mask for something or is this real good well, progress being made in on the agency side you know, I mean, so one of the stories later in the uh, in the show we have where we're where we're going to talk a little bit about this, but but um, you know, I think yes, and overall in the in the grand scheme of things, I think it is a good thing. You know, I think you know it, it it's at least a recognition that um, that the agencies need to disrupt themselves and you know and start to think of what you know that that marketing is actually not campaign hierarchical and sort of you know the old sort of war-based, battle-based terminology that has been so replete in, in marketing for as many years. And it's now a 24-7 process that actually happens in developing customers and developing engagement all the time, you know, and not just in sort of focused battles. Um, so I, I like it from, a, from an evolution standpoint. You know, I, it's, it's hard for me to know exactly how effective this thing is. And, they, and, the, and, and honestly, they, they, seem a lot more, they seem a lot more focused on sort of trying to do the dunk in the dark thing than they actually are sort of really getting into an, a content marketing approach uh, idea. So, but, I, you know, it's hard for me to tell from just one, you know, angle. Yeah, every, every time I see the, the Oreo example, dunk in the dark, I think of Scott Monty that says, if I see another presentation with Oreos dunk in the dark, I'm going to pull out the rest of my hair. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Because <laughs> and that I think that or, that Oreo example did a lot of disservice to brands because it made it look easy, and it's incredibly difficult to get this right. Um, That's but exactly the, the, I mean, right. That's just exactly I just right. had some problems with some some. I mean, yeah, I think that this it's interesting. I mean, I talked to a, a chief marketing officer today on the phone and said that they can't when they think of content and their agencies, they think of big creative content programs that take months to put together. They don't think of real-time marketing efforts. So there's a lot of perception change that needs to happen to, to, for this to really go forward. But the other thing is real-time marketing campaigns. Think about real-time marketing campaigns. What is? Can you explain that to me, what a real-time marketing campaign is? Well, it doesn't exist. 
I mean, it, 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 it how really can you have a case? I don't understand. I, don't I really don't. I mean, I'm asking, how do you have, because it, it says that it's a real-time marketing ah. campaign is used a lot in this article from the Wall Street Journal, but I don't know how you can actually have a campaign around real-time marketing uh, if you're trying to target real-time events. You mean you're only targeting events around Christmas time or Passover or what is what is that? <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's it's. I'm sorry, you don't need to answer it. I'm just like, I just don't get it. I'm like, because they basically say that they're talking about real time marketing campaigns, and then they're talking about things like, uh, you know, they're using listening and what they used to. Oh, the Charmin donated then seventy thousand rolls rolls of toilet paper to the Detroit Fire Department. Um, what does that have to do with real time marketing? That man, this best response. It, it, that's really good res- listening and response. I don't. I don't know. I'm just. Yeah. No. I. Well. It's you know. So, it, it gets into how does you know. So there's sort of the cute things that you can do that are opportunistic, yes. right? And you know. And so the you know. The, so everything from the Oreo dunk in the dark thing to. You, there was there was tons of it this weekend, right? With the whole, you know, there was a there was articles written on this on the whole Boston Strong thing and how brands really went all out on the Boston Strong yeah. meme, and you know, and then and then too, you know, as we joked about in the beginning of the show, the four twenty stuff, right? There was an awesome uh, post from uh, House of Cards. Speaking of Kevin Spacey, uh, you know, where they actually tweeted out a picture of that congressman. I have no spoilers here. Um, where it was a picture of him with a big joint in his hand, saying, "I, you know, <laughs> they can't get me to quit," and it was posted right at four twenty. So there's those opportunistic things I think that are really cute and interesting, but it's not really, you know, that's not an approach of content marketing. It's part of an approach of content marketing that is well thought out, well structured, and well integrated, which we'll get to in just a second here when we talk about the CMI research results. But you only can be opportunistic and have that sort of real-time response if you have the structure in place that covers all the rest of it. You know, just having some team that sits there and looks for opportunities to tweet cute things and pictures, that's not a strategy. That's just, you know, that's that that's just sort of sitting there trying to be, you know, trying cute, to be cute yeah. and waiting, quite frankly, for disaster to happen. I, yeah, I think that you're right. It, you've got to build the inter- – and that's where I think the newsrooms come in. You, they're trying to build the internal structure right. to do this. I guess I would just caution anyone listening to this that if you're talking about a content program in a – campaign through a campaign lens you're headed for failure Be, there you have That's to call right. it a program and and i'm and of course i've been talking for weeks about the term content marketing and really taking ownership over certain things and using some words and not others campaign is one that i'm trying to obliterate from the content marketing lexicon because of the fact that people see it as short term they see it as being entertaining and being cute, and we're going to do it around this program, and we're still going to try to slide in our sales stuff. And I just, it, it, it boy, it happens with consistent publishing of amazing information on an ongoing basis to a targeted audience to, to change or enhance a behavior. And and I just, and and that's right. where I think that you've still got that campaign mentality, and still in. I'm wondering if these newsrooms are launched around that campaign mentality. Oh, let's give, let's go, let's do it for six months. Let's do it for three months. I hope that there's commitment to it, and I think that if there is, it'll work. Yeah, well, I, and I would guess that it's really they're they're being built currently around social yep. programs, right? I mean, so they're they're looking at primarily this as a way to to feed the social beast and 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 create something that's interesting, you know. And I get it for something like what they talk about the Olympics or events and having that sort of somebody going and manning some real-time desk as those events happen and taking advantage of those things is a really interesting idea. It just can't happen. But the, you know, the, but the one thing is, see, that's, but the problem is you call that, you, when you call that stuff real-time, like the 420 thing or the Boston Throng, Strong thing, I don't consider any of that real-time. That's editorial planning. You know about those events well, and that's you plan a great it point. in well, there. That's a great you point. know you're not doing anything real time. You have you have planned for that event for a lot. You're not you're not somebody just didn't get up that morning and say, Let's do the four twenty thing. Or oh I just realized. Right. No, they planned for that most likely for weeks or months or that was in the quarterly editorial plan. So 
Yeah. Yes. Well, and then right. So and, and it gets to be a, a a weird fine line, right? Because you know you have events like the Oscars or the Olympics or an election or those kinds of things where you've got to have somebody, you know, even with editorial planning, right? So for example. God forbid something might have happened at this, you know, at this year's Boston Marathon. Thank God nothing did. But 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 if something had happened, how many of those would have had to have been immediately yep. pulled, right? Because you didn't, you know, you don't want those, you know, you don't want to tweet out something, you know, untoward if disaster strikes. And that's the real challenge. And so you've got to have somebody on it to make sure that you're you you're you know you're responding, right? I mean, you know, to your excellent point, somebody who's going to be there and and understand that that's going to need to be taken down immediately. I'm with you, man. Let's go to the research. Yeah. I'm getting, de- I'm getting depressed. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> there's a, well, there's a connective, there's a connective piece here, which I think is really interesting because so, uh, uh, so this week, you know, not to get too completely meta here, but um, we released um, a new set of research um, around the B2B space, specifically around the B2B space. And um, interestingly, Lack of integration across the marketing spectrum is the biggest challenge that these B2B enterprises are facing this year. Um, and so to me, this was a really interesting, and I want to get your take on this because I think it's fascinating, is as you well know, we face, we see this all the time, the lack of integration. And I think, and I actually wrote, ended up writing a post for this, that one of the challenges here is not only the enterprise, but it's the agency side as well. Because what has happened is, is that as content, social, digital, the, the entire disruption has come up, what has happened is, is that agencies have themselves pigeonholed themselves. You know, I just watched, uh, you know, and I won't name the agency uh, just to just to not name them, but I watched as they said, for them, because they're a direct marketing agency, they've been, that's what they are. They're part of the big publicist, Omnicom, WPP thing. But as the, they are focused on direct marketing, sales enablement, direct marketing programs. And for them, content marketing is only how do we facilitate leads through a nurtured funnel. That's, and, and he goes, anything else is ridiculous. I mean, he literally was like, I don't, I don't believe in content for the whole brand wow. thing and blah, blah, Jeez. blah. And, and it's interesting because that's what has happened is, is that across the enterprise – the sales team is engaged in agency. The brand people have engaged agencies. The loyalty people have engaged agencies. The SEO people have engaged agencies. And there are now 14, 15, 16 agencies running around any large enterprise, all focused on content, but only focused on that part of the funnel that they've been engaged in. And so for them, it is content marketing is just that piece. And so it's a little bit of a, of a, of a chicken and egg thing where the enterprise is frustrated that it's, there's lack of integration across the marketing funnel, but and yet... They're not looking at an agency, and agencies, quite frankly, haven't stepped up to the plate here either, to look at the holistic funnel and go, how do we create a narrative across the entirety of the buyer's journey? Not just the little piece that we now currently have, you know, sort of uh, responsibility over. So anyway. No, no, that's, right I mean, there, it's, but, it's, but it's, it really uh, kicks off some questions here. I mean, just to kind of go over some of the findings, this one particularly was done uh, through the research team on a th- um, companies with a thousand or more employees. So we're talking about big B2B companies. And what is really amazing here is 32% effectiveness in content marketing overall. And But here's the thing about, like, we talk about wow. this, like, who, those of that actually have some kind of a documented content marketing strategy versus those that don't. The ones that do have a documented strategy, 49% effective versus those that don't, 15. So right. 300 plus percent difference between those two <laughs> right. but but there's there's a bigger story here bigger companies have a much harder time with effectiveness than small companies there's a david versus goliath thing here so any smaller because of the fact that i don't even know if you can share some of these stories that you and i were talking about with some of some of the the clients that we were working with but because we don't want to put anybody on the spot but the the disintegration of content strategies within big organizations is unfathomable. I mean, you you just don't even, the stories that you're telling me about some of this stuff, it just blows me away that that they're it not is. even I mean, talking to each other, that that these that the people that are create They don't, they even, don't even know, know each, each other. other. You've got content people in different silos that don't even know that the roles exist. 
and you've got people taking ownership for content across in different silos that that don't even know that people are overlapping and doing the same role and they're getting right. you're getting lost in this bigness and this is why content marketing is so complex for big organizations yeah it's just it's just amazing and you know it's it and it's a hard thing look you know there is no doubt about it that integration across a matrixed siloed global organization is no small task um and you know we've seen it from the giantest of giant companies to the smallest of small companies that integration across the entirety of the buyer's journey is no is, is no easy pickings um but the benefit if if you can create an organization and this is the thing that i've been working on and and will continue to work on toward uh, our big event in september if we can figure this out how to get a structure in the organization that helps the facilitation of content as a strategic asset that we want to manage well and in a way that we want to create well then it it truly we've watched it happen in big organizations have amazing cost efficiency effectiveness sales growth you know all the goodness that you would hope for it starts to just happen and it's a it's it's a pretty amazing thing you know once you start making it real in the organization and stopped having it be sort of nobody and everybody's job at the same time, it really starts to like, well, I think off. it's, it's important to say this. And of course I, I don't want this to sound too pitchy, but we're making it our goal over the next six months and up to content marketing world to, to try to figure this out because what's So it's yeah. a great report, right? Enterprise content marketing. We go through all the details. It's free download and all that good stuff, but it, it paints not the greatest picture about what's going on in enterprises. And we need to be solution providers and not just talk about all the horrors that go on in big enterprises. That's so right. that's what, that's so exactly we've been right. we've commissioned a research project. Uh, we've got the executive forum coming up. We're going to get some details there and we're, we're going to unleash a number of reports at content marketing world that will hopefully help, uh, companies take that next step and figure out what that layer should be, whether that's, as you call content creation management, or whether you call it a content center of excellence, like Kraft Foods does and Coca-Cola does. That's, I think that's where we need to go. And, and I mean, that's kind of your baby for the next few months, right? That's what you're working on. My summer. Yeah. My summer is accounted for. Yes. I'm sorry for that, but you, you raised your hand and wanted to do it. And I was like, great idea. You should go do that. It's going to be it's 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 so far been just a joy and an, a very interesting thing to work on. Okay. So let's move on to the to the next stars next story here which is uh we'll cover this really quickly here but it, but it just it deserves a shout out because it was such an interesting piece I thought. So um it comes from Sunil who's a friend um and has uh well you tell me if he's done done uh, done work with He's us, well he's speaking um, he's hey, he's speaking yeah scripted is a good supporter of ours and they're speaking a content marketing yeah. world and all that good stuff. Yeah, he wrote an article which is called Content Marketing is Primed for Disruption. And what he does in this is he – and they provide a accompanying uh, infographic, which is just great, I thought, um, where they break down the technology players in the content marketing space. And we've done that, of course, with our own reports. But he does a really nice job of breaking it down by a really interesting thing where he actually looks at some of the various content marketing technology players and then breaks it down by the content type that they actually help facilitate, collaborate on, source, all that kind of stuff. And they break it down into what he calls high-quality universal content, SEO, product descriptions, uh, thought leadership, and brand publishing. And then they look at each vendor and sort of show you how percentage-wise what they produce. I just thought it was great. Now, I can't speak to the veracity of the percentages or anything, and I think you got to look at it with a little bit of a grain of salt because he himself is in that mix. But I, I just – you know. If it's even nearly true, it's it's just it, it was a fascinating. I've, piece, I extremely, thought. I mean, one of the more helpful pieces I've seen, yeah, and really, the way that really they lay nice it out, it's yeah. fantastic. So basically, goes through here's the player players in content distribution, workflow management, content curation. And I got to be yeah. honest with you, I've, I'm pretty well read on technology, and there's a couple technology players that I I didn't know here. So I mean, yeah, I thank thanks to Sunil for for putting this together, and we'll definitely. Uh, post it. Maybe we'll even embed the uh, the infographic into the podcast this week because uh, they did did such yeah, a good. It's job. a pretty big one. It's it's yeah. it's a nice one. So moving on, and we're another nice shout out to just a blog post that really deserves a shout out. I mean, she deserves a shout out just any time I can because every time I read 
her stuff, I just feel that much smarter. So Rebecca Lieb, who covers content marketing for the Altimeter Group, wrote a blog post. I don't think it was this week. I think it was the end of last week, actually, um, called Social Media's Fade and Why That's a Good Thing. And it's really interesting given the context of our discussion on Facebook and and Twitter and, and native advertising and all of those things where she really basically says wave goodbye to all the social media gurus. They're about to head off into the sunset, and that's a good thing. And I'm not going to spoil the rest of it by by reading any more of it. you got to go read it. It's just fascinating. Did you did you get a chance to see it? I did. I actually saw it on Facebook. Kyle Lacey, um, and I keep calling him Exact Target, which they're now part of uh, Salesforce. But uh, but I saw it on Kyle Lacey's, and there was a really good discussion about this, and some people were very upset about her going into social media fading out. And but you know, basically, she calls it um, you know wallpaper, but she does it in a really good way uh, because she's saying it's <clears throat> we now get it. It's not this bright shiny object that we don't understand anymore. It's now, and I love this. She says social media has been departmentalized, strategized budgeted all very very good things and that's why it's not like oh my gosh social media anymore and you and and then of course i have to give her a shout out because then she goes out and said content marketing is the new term on everyone's lips as an analyst i'm seeing and hearing with with clients vendors everyone's talking about content marketing uh going on and on and then What's really interesting, and you know, I don't want to give too much away, but I am. So, you know, I know John John Matee, um, he has an interesting thing goes on about, oh, hey, we're seeing the same thing in content marketing. It's content shock, ho hum. And then Rebecca comes to the table and she says, look, content is different. Content is goes across platforms, digital, print. Otherwise, you can't. It's not like okay, this is a social media channel. This is email channel. What did you take out out of that? Did you look at those comments? Did you have a take on that? I I did I did see some of them, and you know I mean it just it, it you know it, it well one it shows how very smart and with it that Rebecca is, um, and and two I think that's exactly it right I mean what we're talking about is not a channel here we're talking about a, an approach a strategy that I mean to, to everything we've talked about for the last forty one minutes this is really it it's 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 not something that we look at as a campaign or as a single channel it's broadly focused across the entire organization and it gets infused into the business strategy that's the difference what's also interesting and you and i talked about it when we had the king content roundtable when we were in sydney and i'm beginning more and more to believe this and i don't know i want to get your take on it because i don't want to put my rose-colored glasses on and just think that this is true because i'm i'm in it all the time but it in my orange, orange yeah, orange, orange colored glasses. It seems to me everybody's talking about. Even John mentions it in in his comment, and it's you know you could go to the content shock thing and talk about some of that. But the saturation point of a certain type of content, that how to, that five tips content, we're even seeing in a content marketing world or a content marketing institute where you know if you're going to do that kind of content, it's got to be great. It's got to be amazing. It's got to be fantastic to to really break through. I'm, and it seems like that's what John's getting to, and it sounded like that's what you know. Doug Kessler made the comment on the Enterprise Report on that you know, are we getting to a maturation level with this type of content? I think that type of content is a problem. Like if your content marketing strategy revolves around just answering people's questions, could it be we're at a point where that's we're been there, done that? On that just type of that answering question strategy, and we've got to come up with a different story. I don't think it can be globally applied. I don't think you can. I don't think you can globally apply that 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 rule. I mean, I think as a as a general rule for the kinds of things that you know. Look, we have an inside baseball yeah. viewpoint here, and 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 there's there's no doubt about that. So the things that we look at: marketing, social media, digital marketing, advertising, native advertising, the 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 that you know the 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 word cloud in our heads like you and me and the people that comment on that blog is a well-trodden space and uh but if you look at some of the you know industries that are just now starting to get in here you know that strategy could very well work i think it works well where you are you know you where you find yourself 
you know, treading new ground. And I grant you there are few of those spaces. There are fewer and fewer of those spaces remaining. But I think you can do that. You know, the Marcus Sheridan answer every question, become the world's largest FAQ. You can do that for for a super niche. For a super niche. uh, For a super niche, you can. Correct. 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 And 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 ultimately, I think the I think the global paintbrush you can paint with is to say content evolves, and your strategy of how you create content, just like a media company, just like if you were producing a television show, to just like you're producing a daily newspaper, to just like if you're producing a weekly magazine, to just like if you're producing a film, has to evolve as well, and it has to evolve to what the audience, your audience, is thirsty for. And if you don't quench it, you lose. And that's that's really the you know if you if if your if your business gets along fine with your three hundred five hundred audience subscribed, the very passionate people, and they love the top five posts that you post, go yeah. get them. But 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 it, it's it's going to be it's going to be the exception, not the rule. And that's the real key here is, is that your content has to. Well, evolve. it's so. I mean, we had a call today with the editorial team on that and we're dealing with that with our newsletter as a lot of people know that are subscribed to our newsletter we weren't seeing the kind of uh, engagement responsiveness open rates click-through rates that we think we should get uh, and we're totally re-looking at that and saying you know how can we make this vehicle like a must-have must-open vehicle every week so and that's you know that yeah. we had that newsletter for five years and now we're like we got to change it up so totally get that that's that's you know. exactly right that's exactly right Last story of the day. It's a really interesting one. I wanted to. I, I wanted to make sure we got to which because I think there's a great lesson and a takeaway here for marketers. Uh, the article comes from Digiday again. Um, article is called "Big Data Helps Publishers Increase Circulation." And and at the surface level, you might not think this was a marketing, you know, or even really related to what we do. But I thought it was really interesting. Basically, the article talks through how publishers. And they, spe- they specifically go through a couple of case studies, Hearst and Meredith being two of them, where they talk about how the data that they collect about the subscribers that they have is now given them a leg up when it comes to actually launching new properties. And they talk about where Hearst, you know, with 20 titles under its belt, can simply just launch a new title like Dr. Oz, The Good Life, and sign up 145,000 people at launch. And I think the great for me, and I'd love to get your take on this, Joe, is, is for me the huge takeaway here was that if we treat content marketing as an approach, as a, something that is infused into our business strategy, it is something we can get better at. And it will continue to exponentially improve as we get better at it. So, for example, I was on a webinar today where a B2B person was lamenting that now that they've instituted measurement in these content marketing programs, they're watching more leads fall out of the funnel. And they, you know, and I said, well, are you closing less business? He said, no, no, we're actually getting more business, but we're seeing, I said, right, you're actually seeing the leads now fall out of the funnel rather than just having to guess as to why they fell out of the funnel. I said, that's insight, that's value that you didn't have before. And that's a really interesting thing to me is, is that as we get better with content and understanding the process, that we actually get better at giving audiences what they want. And that was the real takeaway for me is that it's not only in our campaign to campaign completely reinventing the wheel every time we go out with a new campaign. If we treat it like a process, it will actually improve over time and we can get so good that at some point we can know with some certainty if we launch a new blog or we launch a new property, we're going to get X many signups for this thing. I just thought it was great. Well, it's the, it's the media version of what Netflix did with House of Cards. Same thing. They, yeah, put, they right. knew that House of Cards was going to be successful because they had enough data to tell them that that kind of show would be successful. And what, you know, we can... We can hit on and and talk about the negatives of the magazine industry and the newspaper industry, but what they've done a really good job with over the last five years, most of them, is continuing to build that circulation database. What value that is. And the thing is, is that I, I think that we're seeing, like we talk about on a lot of shows where we think that brands are going to start buying media companies. What I think is going to start happening, and they don't mention it here. They're talking like Hearst, you, you mentioned, going to launch a new title. I would just as much expect in the next 12 to 18 months to 24 months that Hearst Magazines or Hearst Ventures gets up there and saying, you know, we've all got all this data. We're now launching this XYZ SaaS product. 
Yeah. Ab- and it's it's going to happen. Yeah. It's yep. going to happen. And I remember, and I'll never forget right. this conversation. I had it with David Nussbaum, who was my boss at Pet Media at the time. I was running custom content for Pet Media, and, and we were having a strategy meeting and, and basically said, Joe, I, I don't care what you sell. Go grow your business. I don't care if you sell shoes. It doesn't matter. Go grow your business. Right. Now, of course, he was being a little tongue-in-cheek when he was saying that. But right. now you really can sell shoes. You can be yep. a foot uh, footwear media company, and you can actually sell shoes if you want, and you can sell product because we've got this data. And I think the, the lesson for brands is, is as you go on this content marketing journey, you might only start with an email address as you're building your, your audience. That's right. And you, you're right. You can only see so much with that. They might either subscribe or unsubscribe. And you might see actions way at the end of the funnel. And you don't see anything in the middle. But over time, as you get better at this, you'll start really gaining some insight. So it's very, I love, the, love, love this article and what brands can take from it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of being successful... I think we have a sponsor this week that we'd like we to do. We do. I want to definitely mention our good friends at uh, Oracle Marketing Cloud. Uh, they have a fantastic ebook that they put out called Marketing Automation Simplified. I know you and I have both gone through it. If you're interested in marketing automation, you got to check it out. Uh, they call it the Small Guide to Big Ideas to Improve Your Marketing Automation Expertise. Uh, and I'm gonna, gonna, not going to go through this whole thing that they, they want me to read, but I love the folks there, so I want to give them their love. Of course, they're sponsoring this show, so we want to – they're really Absolutely. super Absolutely. smart people. So the, the, Well, we're not a social <laughs> network. We're an ad platform, Yeah, Joe, yeah so. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but the, the, I'll read this part. The Marketing Automation Simplified Guide offers an introduction to the five tenets of modern marketing. So it breaks down with tips marketers need to automate and optimize data and targeting and then email marketing. They go through lead nurturing and scoring, of course, our favorite content marketing, and then the ultra important sales slash marketing alignment. You can download this white paper uh, right now, actually, at bit.ly.com slash PNR-MA. That's PNR-MA. And of course, we will put this in the show notes, but thanks to Oracle again for being a fantastic sponsor of the show and, and making sure that we actually do this every week. <laughs> That's fantastic. Thank you. Thank yeah. you to Oracle. We, we so appreciate it. Very, very, very much appreciate it. Well, now it's time for the show. Um, our favorite part of the show, rants and raves. Uh, not that we don't do enough ranting and raving yep. on this show, but it's the particular part of the show where we go off in a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave, depending on what we are actually all excited about. I'm going to go first uh, today because mine's very, very short. Um, I want to give a rave, and my rave is simply titled 10%. Um, and the the 10% I am referring to is the 10% of time that I have been able to keep over the last week and a half and uh, for content creation. It's something that I talk about in workshops, something that I talk about with clients um, where we can get amazing things done. And, and, and the real argument behind it is, you know, if you think about businesses, you know, what's the most valuable thing to a business? Is it the people? Well, maybe it used to be, um, but ask ourselves – how much time we actually spend figuring out if we have the right data or information versus the right people actually making that decision. Um, Or ask about how much more common it is for people to be jettisoned from our business than it is for the business to go let go of some useless piece of information, right? When was the last time somebody went out and said, you know, I think we have too much content on the website. And why are we as large enterprises willing to spend million, literally millions of dollars managing content through some governance process that we spend tens of thousands of training people on, tens of thousands of dollars translating that content, localizing it, getting it distributed, perhaps even if we buy into the notion of content marketing, promoting it, spending more tens of thousands of dollars. So millions of dollars on the management distribution of content and nothing on the creation. Creation of content is everybody's job and nobody's job. Ask somebody to spend 10% of their time, five hours a week, creating content, and ask yourself if there's a process to do that in our business. And that's what I want to sort of celebrate is the idea that I was actually able to do it this for the last week and a half, really spend my 10% creating and working. And I know it sounds a little bit like a rant, but it, it's one of those things where I've just I see the results. I see the results in what I create. I see the results in the what I'm able to do. And I just couldn't encourage people more to do it. It's just a wonderful. You know, you and I talk about that a lot because we tend to, to travel around the road together doing our thing. But 
we need to talk to the staff more about that. I, I mean, I, I think that we should next staff meeting. Let's talk. Let's bring that up and make sure that we've got everybody that really they know and we're giving them permission to spend ten percent of their time doing that kind of work. So. Yeah, it's it's just really it's just really important. Well, my um, I'm going to do a quick rave and. It's back to Rebecca Lieb, and um, this was the blog post she wrote this week because we talked about the one she wrote last week. And the one she wrote this week is called yeah. Content Marketing, Marketing Haters Gonna Hate and Why They're Wrong. And I've been on, you know, I've been on this whole term tangent about the industry of content marketing because we've seen so many people that have been bashing the term. Why is the term? Why are we having this? It's a stupid term. Content marketing is just marketing. Uh, all that all that stuff and and I just I'm going to make sure we put it in the show notes I would just recommend everybody read it she's got some great reasons for this but she basically says and this is what I've been saying love it or hate it content marketing is the industry standard term now so learn to live with it and I just put I mean I that was the focus of my LinkedIn post and my e-newsletter post uh last week was why content marketing as a unifying term for this industry is important uh, and I, I really, I talked about because it was, you know, Passover time and Easter. I was talking about the story of the Tower of Babel, where, you know, God didn't like what they were doing, came down, and then everybody was was basically spoke a different language, and then nothing got done because nobody was talking the same language. And that's kind of what I think about back in the day, 15 years ago, when there was no name for this and it was called 15 different things and there was no discipline. We've gotten so much done in this discipline of content marketing because we're actually using the same terminology. And I cannot stress how important that is. So that's why we want everybody. Yeah. Do I want content marketing because it helps Content Marketing Institute? Of course. We are vested in it. But the fact that the <laughs> fact is is that it's gotta be called something and this is the team this is the, the, the term that's leading the pack and I need people like Rebecca leading this charge. So special thanks to Rebecca for doing it. We'll post it in the show notes and, and some some really great feedback on, on why it's important for the industry. We have gotten weed, social networks, and the Tower of Babel into one. That's gonna show. be the show that's, that's gonna be the show title, I think. Good. Yeah, here you go. Weed social networks in the oh. Tower of Babel. All right. Well, now it's time for the namesake of our show. This old marketing. We'll cover it very quickly here, um, as we uh, as we are short on time. But it's a wonderful example, uh, and it comes from and not just because we may end up doing a couple of workshops for these guys, but Dell, the good folks at Dell. Um, produce a magazine called Dell Power Solutions, which they have produced for the last, I believe, 20 years. Um, and it is, uh, it's a print magazine that has evolved into an online magazine, and it's all about helping IT leaders really look at how their organization is structured from an infrastructure standpoint. And it's won awards. Um, it's been delivered directly to their enterprise customers for all this time through a circulation. You can buy the magazine, actually, if you want to. So it is now in a combined print and digital circulation of more than 400,000 readers um, for each quarterly issue that they produce. So it's just an amazing example of what you can do with producing uh over the long haul, right? Thinking of the marathon, not to put too much of a theme on the show, but the marathon, the process, the infusion of the long haul for a program. And it's just a really fantastic example. So, and we'll put a link to the Dell.com Power Solutions uh, magazine. In you the know show what's notes, so funny course. about this? I didn't even know you were going to do this one this week because you said you had the this old marketing example. I bit, yeah. Yeah. when I was at Penton, we bit on this project and it was about 2003. Did you really? to try to, to, to produce this forum when we were, we were at Penton and we were working with the IT division. And, uh, of course, we didn't get it. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, I happen to yeah, know exactly. who did. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, where, so we've got the LinkedIn event coming up here, um, and then we're off to the executive forum. Well, Anything I mean, let's make sure everybody knows because you're, you're running the workshop. I'm there to tag along in, yep, in Toronto, uh, and that's what, what day is that? So everybody has it. That is uh, next, next Wednesday. Wednesday. That's I the thirtieth. That's the thirtieth in right. Toronto. Uh, thanks to LinkedIn for sponsoring right. that. And then we've and then I'm on the road. I don't know about you, but I'm on the road almost all of May. We've got I've got Con, oh, Confab yeah, in too. Minneapolis. I'll be at. I'm at the Fortune Leadership Summit. In, <clears throat> oh, that's Christina. Right, Christina. I'm at the Fortune Leadership yeah. Summit in um, 
Uh, where is that going to be? In Orlando. I'll be, uh, I told you this, I got the Stockholm trip coming up. That's later in May. And then we've got Executive Forum, which is looking amazing. I mean, the, the, yeah, the people great. we've got coming in. is. And by the way, if anybody's interested, if you're a senior level content marketing uh, title or marketing title and you want to come, uh, we've still got about five seats available. So um, check that out. Excellent. Well, that is it. Um, we are going to squeak under our, our time limit, our self-imposed time limit here. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose signing off. Remember, if you'd like your question answered on the show, tag us on Twitter at This Old Marketing. This was episode number 23. If you like this episode, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher. All those links are available on thisoldmarketing.com. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. 